Suing us, suing us, suing us. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Stop, 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 stop. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm long-winded anyway. Sit down, sit down. Thank you, thank you. I'm the most blessed man alive, and I said all that stuff. That's terrible. Um, <clears throat> hey, uh, uh, before we get going, we're, we're at a bit of a cross-section here between Saturated and the second week of Scripted. I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, we've had guests from all over the country uh, be here with us through Saturated. One of, one of my just favorite pastors in the whole world has been here throughout the whole uh, saturated deal, and he'll be here next week also, um, or just throughout the week, and I haven't had an opportunity to introduce him, and so uh, Pastor Wayne Bar- Barclay right here is on the front row. Stand up, Wayne. So just an amazing, amazing man of God, and um, he just, you know, saturated for us is a, is a family event, and he's a part of our family in Jamaica, so he just came in just to kind of hang out with us, and, and, I, and I just appreciate you being here, and look forward to you being here with us throughout this next week. Um, so the reason that we do Saturated um, is because I told you this a while ago that I worked with students for a long time, and one of the, the keys in the life of most students in their relationship with the Lord is camp, and adults quit going to camp, and so we kind of did this Saturated Revival so we could get saturated um, in the presence of God, and it's why students, it's why uh, Beachtown Shakedown's coming up, and so, good. <clears throat> And if you hadn't signed up, you can just, during the boring parts of my sermon, go on our app, and you can sign up right now, and then uh, your parents would have to pay for it, because they would never be like, no, we can't pay for that. If you sign up to go to church camp, you see what I'm saying? So do that while I'm talking. <clears throat> so here we are. We're in, this, we're in this crossroads between the series we started last week called Scripted, where we're studying the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in Genesis all the way till Advent, till Christmas season. And last week, um, we said that you were created by God for God to reflect who God is by having the Spirit of God live in you. And then saturated hit, and we're going to, saturated and scripted, um, they meet each other in Genesis chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there in Genesis chapter 3. Um, and, then, and then during saturated, Pastor Stovall Williams on Wednesday night came in and told us, taught us about our soul and said that the only thing that could satisfy the unlimited desires of your soul is the unlimited power and love of Jesus Christ. And then on Thursday night, Dr. Eric Mason, wow, was he not amazing, right? <clears throat> and he talked about repentance and what repentance is. And one of the things that he said that just blew me away, I guess I knew this, I never really thought of it this way, is that what Jesus Christ took six hours on the cross to do would have taken us an eternity separated from God to accomplish, and that would be the payment of our sin. And then on Friday night, one of my dearest friends, uh, Pastor Ryan Kwan, he came in and he talked to us about the gospel. And he says that the size of our view of the gospel determines the size of our heart for God. And then last night, Phil Wickham was here. And I don't know how much sound and energy and worship can come out of one little midget of a man. He's a tiny little, <laughs> tiny little, like you just kind of want to pet him when you get around him. And just hold him. He's so pretty. And, um, and yet... He just sang about God's amazing grace. This is amazing grace. And one of the craziest things about what the Lord is doing is up to this point in Saturated from Wednesday to today, God has saved 100 people um, already in, in this. It's crazy. It's awesome. <clears throat> and then you'll notice that the, the, the baptistries or baptismal tubs are still out. And, and the reason is because at the end of this service, at the end of the nine o'clock service, at the end of this service at the end of 522 at all of our services today, we're going to give you an opportunity to be saturated, not just in water, but to 
but to make a public profession that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. Now, we've baptized hundreds and hundreds of people since we've opened the doors, but there's some of you that you don't even know this yet, but today's your day that you're going to meet Jesus as your Savior. It's going to happen today. And there's no reason why today you wouldn't just get up in your church clothes and come get baptized, okay? I'll explain that in just a little while. Um, And then there's some of you, and you've been walking with him for a while. You know him. You know that he saved you. You know that you're clean. But you've never publicly professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then been obedient to his command to be baptized. And so today is your day. And so I'm going to try to preach really, really fast and do all of chapter 3 in enough time to leave us time to, to baptize every single person in this place that knows Christ as their Lord and Savior who has never been baptized as a believer before. So in chapter 3, verse 1. Of the book of Genesis, <clears throat> let's go there. It says, it starts out this way, now. All right, now, I got to explain it. So up to this point, up to this point, now, up to this point, everything that has been created is in perfect rhythm, is in perfect harmony. There is no pain, there are no tears, there is no violence, there is no broken relationship. Now, everything is very good. And then it lasts for one page of the Bible. Now. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Do you know what what Satan's number one tool is in our world too? And it was here, is to twist the word of God. He wants to come to you and he wants to just kind of whisper to you, are you sure that's what God actually said? And so that's what he says. Um, Did God actually say you shouldn't eat of the tree of the garden? Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now what happens is the woman here, Eve, she twists the word. That's not exactly what God said. She just adds some stuff in there about touching and dying. That's not what he said. And so here's one of the things that you need to understand. Um, here at the church of 1122, the reason that we, that I teach the word of God each and every week is because what you've got to know is that God's word is for you. This is not like a list of rules to try to keep anything from you, but God's word is for you. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in, in any book of the Bible, it's just, it's just an entire chapter that just goes on and on and on and on about how beautiful the word of God is for us. And God's word to us is a gift, is a gift, that it's a better way to live. If you do life the way the creator of life created you to do life, I promise you it's just, it's just better. It's just better. And this, the word is true, it's trustworthy. And the Bible says things like, if you abide in his word, then you abide in him. And I'm telling you, you were created to live close to Jesus. And it's why, there there are a lot of churches that, they kind of do like, hey, here's three points on how to be better. And, and it just kind of seems a lot like the pastor's idea. I, I'm not smart enough to come up with enough content. In fact, if I just said what I thought, I'd say that ridiculous stuff like that's on the video there. And it would be bad for everybody, okay? So what we do here is we just study the Word of God over and over and over because it leads us to life. And so the woman begins to twist the Word. And then verse 4. But the servant said to the woman, you will not surely die. You see what the enemy is doing here? The enemy begins to twist the word of God. And then just to be, begins to kind of 
kind of meddle around in a little bit of her doubt. And he says, you will, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what the enemy is doing to Eve here? He's whispering the same things to her that he whispers to you. And it is so enticing. It usually starts with, are you sure God really said that? Or maybe you think God said that and they told you that in Sunday school, but that's not what that means anymore. And then fundamentally, he says, and you know what? It's not even really true. You know what the enemy is saying to Eve here? Eve, you know this. You would make a better God of your life than God will make of your life. He just wants to keep things from you. He doesn't want what's for you. And so essentially, the enemy is saying this. Why don't you just be Lord of your own life? Why don't you just do what you want, when you want, with who you want? Because nobody knows you like you know you. Why don't you be Lord of your own life? He is playing to our sense of pride. It's why it's the chief of all sins. That every single time you're tempted to sin, there's some element where the enemy is twisting the truth and he's sneaking into your world, whispering into your ear saying, nah, you got this. You got this. You would be a better ruler of your own life, maybe in just this particular area than God would. And you know it. So go ahead and do it. And so in verse 6, so... So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Now, this is how important this is. This is kind of the foundation of all sin right here. Everything that you struggle with on a daily basis is wrapped up into one of these things. Good for food, delight to the eyes, or desire to make one wise. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says this. It says, everything in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. That every sin that we struggle with is really wrapped up in one of these three things. One is, is the lust of the flesh. Or what the enemy said to her, and what she began to believe, that it, it was good for food. This is the sin of satisfaction. This is when you begin to believe the lie of this world. That if you could just have a little bit more stuff... It would satisfy you. And it could be stuff, or it could be food, or it could be clothes, or it could be a car, or it could be anything. And how often do we buy into this? That she sees that it's good for food, and she begins to think, I have to have this. You see, it's that sin of that, that I, I've got to have this. I deserve this. How many times have you told yourself you deserve it? And begin to twist the word of God, thinking, God, you're not enough. And I really deserve this. Or you'll say it this way. All right. Hey, listen, I just really like nice things. Everybody thinks the things that they like are nice things. Okay. I mean, the guy drinking like really, really high end wine and the guy chugging PBR are both saying, I just really like nice things. No, really, you're putting your hope in things that cannot fully and finally satisfy. How many VH1 behind the music do you have to watch to realize that the cash and prizes of this world just won't do it. And so that's one of the things when you begin to say, hey, I deserve this. This is good for food. That's what she thought, that this will satisfy me. And you look for satisfaction in the created things of this world, I promise you, you just won't find it. The second thing is that <clears throat> she, she says that it was a delight to her eyes. This is the lust of the eyes. That you begin to see something and, and not necessarily think it's going to satisfy, but think, I want that. I want that. Look, this is, the lust of the eyes is primarily about sex and sexuality, and it's why, I mean, it, it is just pervasive in our society.
but it has been since the very beginning of time. When you, <clears throat> when you look at something, and she begins to find delight in her eyes there and say, I want this. I don't care if it's good for me. I don't care if it's bad for me. I don't care if it destroys the person that I'm looking at. I don't care, but this is about me, that I want this. So there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life. This is when we begin to say it's all about me. You see, she believed <clears throat> that if she, eat, if she eats this fruit, then um, it would make her wise and that she would be like God. So you see, it's the, it's the lust of the flesh, it's the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You know what it is? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's satisfaction, it's sex, it's status. It's money and sex and power. All the way back to the very, very beginning of human history that the enemy has been tempting us with the exact same things. By the way, if you just want to do a little, for your Bible nerds, if you want to do a little parallel study of what the enemy tempted Jesus with, all three of the temptations of the enemy to Jesus were those three things was the, the lust of the flesh, satisfaction, the lust of the eyes, sex, and the pride of life, status. And so he comes at her, he tempts her with these three things. She, she takes the bait, she's on the hook, and it says, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, and these are the most damning words in all of masculine history right here, who was with her, and he ate. All right, so I know, ladies, Eve gets a bad rap here, but you know what the real problem was? Her passive husband. I mean, what's the brother doing? The Bible doesn't say that he's off somewhere else in the garden kind of killing and grilling and getting stuff done. Uh Uh-uh, he's not. He's right there with her. The Hebrew says elbow to elbow, and what is he doing? I mean, she's in this theological discussion with the enemy. All of human history hangs in the balance here, and that bro is just like, Hey, look, a butterfly. I named that. What are you doing? Step up and be a man. But instead, he's a passive husband. He's an idiot. Okay? All men aren't idiots. Just the passive men are idiots. You know what I think part of the problem is, though? I think is that she it could be. This is total conjecture. This is not in the Bible. This is me making stuff up. But, you know, she's standing there naked, and he might just have his mind on one thing. Okay? We don't think well when we're next to our naked hot wife. I don't know if you figured that out yet. All the married women said, amen, lightly. <laughs> Did you hear that? Let's not bring up naked. It puts pressure on me this afternoon. Okay, so, <clears throat> so maybe he's just distracted there. I don't know what's going on, but he does nothing. He does nothing. And so she took the fruit, and she eats it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Verse 7. Verse 7 is the most tragic verse in the entire Bible. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. You know why this was so tragic? For the first time in human history, men and women felt shame. Nobody had ever felt shame before. Nobody had ever felt condemnation before. Nobody had ever felt guilt before. Nobody had ever been afraid before and in this moment when sin enters into the world along with it comes sin and death and shame and condemnation it's just a result of the fall and so you know what they do they do what every single one of us do is that when adam and eve both rebelled 
when they committed treason against an almighty God and they rebel against God, we've all rebelled against God. That by our very nature, we were born as rebels against an almighty God. That you and I, no matter how cute you were when you were a little baby, and you know, some of you were, honestly though, some of you weren't that cute. You know, I hate to break it to you. But you and I were created. We were born in sin as wretched black-hearted sinners. That even your children and my children were born wretched black-hearted sinners. I know cute and adorable and precious and you love them. But every parent of a toddler knows this to be true, don't you? That you did not have to teach your child to sin. All you had to do is unleash them. Because one of the first two words they learned was no and mine. Because they're selfish little creatures. They don't care about you. They just whine to eat, whine to poop, whine to sleep. Me, me, me. Right? They sound like the seagulls and Nemo. Mine, 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 me, me. That's it. It's just because that's, I know they're cute. I'm not saying they're not cute and adorable and you don't love them like crazy. Absolutely. But just wretched. Wretched. Some of you that are new to church are going, I don't know if I believe it, but that explains a lot. <clears throat> and so we all rebel against God and we rebel in one of two ways. One of two ways. You see, the first thing that they did, they made. They sowed fig leaves. You know what that is? That was the first religion in human history right there. You know what man-made religion is? Our attempt to cover our sin and shame because we say we don't need you, God. That's what religion is. Man-made religion is, I've got this. I've got, sh- I've got shame. I've got sin. I mean, something's wrong. For those of you that are ready to be honest, and I know it's about half maybe, you realize deep down in your soul, something's wrong. Something's broken. Adam and Eve, when they felt that shame, they wanted to do something about it. So they said, God, we don't need you, okay? We've got this. So they, get, they, they start to sew fig leaves together to make a covering, to cover by their own effort the sin and shame that they've chosen. That's what religion is. For those of you that have pursued religion, you've tried to appease God by being good enough and following the rules and doing whatever your religious organization said that you had to do to be a good person religious person, and you realize how exhausting it is. It's exhausting. To cover over sin and shame doesn't do anything to get at its root problem. And the other thing, I don't know if you've frolicked around in a fig leaf lately. It's not very comfortable. I would assume I haven't either, all right? And also, I would imagine it's very irritating. Yeah, it's like religion. And the harder you try, it's like the more irritated you get. And so that's what they do. God, we don't need you. They stiff arm this almighty loving God and they say, we got this. We're gonna sow fig leaves together. Verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. See, that's how God created them to be in this daily fellowship with God that they would just walk around the garden in the morning together. And the man and his wife, it says, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Man, sin makes you dumb. Sin makes you do some dumb stuff. Like Adam and Eve hear God walking in the garden. They feel sin. They feel shame. And so what do they do? They run and hide. It's the other response to our shamefulness. Some of you ran towards religion and started sowing fig leaves to make a covering for yourself as if you don't need God. And then some of you just ran to the debauchery of this world. All right, Lord, I don't need you. I'm going this way. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And you think you're going to hide from God? I mean, how dumb is this? Adam and Eve are in the garden that God created and put them into, and and Adam's like, come on, come on, come on, get behind this tree. He'll never see us. 
Thank God my four-year-old, almost five, is getting better at hide-and-seek. But there was a time a year ago, a year and a half ago, when we would play hide-and-seek, and JP came up to me and said, Daddy, something might be wrong with Reagan. Okay? So what do you mean, bud? He goes, we're playing hide-and-seek, and just watch this, all right? And so she would go to hide, and she would go into her room, and she would put her head under the bed, but all the rest of her is just in the floor. <laughs> Because she thought, what? If I can't see you, obviously you can't see me. And not only that, not only did she not realize that there was only a, 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 a visual part of hide and go see, there's also some audio that is involved, right? So we would, so JP would get me, and we'd be like, all right, here we come, ready or not. And we'd go looking for her. We'd walk into her room, her head's under the bed, her torso and little legs are out on the floor right there for us to see. And we'd go, Reagan, are you in here? And she'd say, no. And this must be a little of what, what it looks like to God when we try to run away from him. No matter what you run to, whether it's the bottle or the pills or that jacked up relationship that you keep running back to, I'm just telling you, you can't run and hide from him. And so he walks through the garden. This is huge. No matter how dumb we look, listen to verse 9. But, but the Lord. Those are some of the most beautiful words in the whole Bible. You get that? Anytime the Bible says, but God, or but the Lord God, those are some powerful words. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Do you know that God pursues you? Do you realize this, that God pursues you in spite of you? That is such good news. When I call you a wretched, black-hearted sinner, if you could just know it is from a place of the gospel, it is from a place of love, that even while you were still a sinner, even though you're jacked up and running and rebelling or trying to be religious or whatever it is, that God pursues you, that he comes walking through the garden of your life and he's calling out your name. Where are you? And it's not like he doesn't know where you are. He knows where you are. He's just trying to give you an opportunity to say, here I am, here I am. I give up. I quit running. I quit hiding. Here I am. But God, I mean, the, <clears throat> the beginning of the gospel is that God pursues you, and listen to me here, listen. There's some of you here that right now and you're still a little hungover from last night or whatever. Listen, it counts for you too. So you think that it only counts for the person next to you that when we were singing, they had their eyes closed and their hands up and they were into it. And you don't even get that part of it. That he pursues you. And if you'd be honest, this is only for those of you that are ready to be honest about like the deep soul work that needs to happen that you've realized that there's something broken down in here, something's not right down in here, and you've, you've heard whispers of your name from him before. He continues to pursue you. This could be your day. This could be the day that you quit running, you quit hiding, and you quit sowing fig leaves, and you just say, okay, I give up. Here I am. That God pursues us in spite of us, verse 10. And he said, this is Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. That's our condition outside of Christ. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, now listen to this. Is this a real man? Okay, check this out. <clears throat> There's only four people in existence right now. Adam, Eve, God, and the devil. That's it. And Adam blames the other three. That's it. That's all he's got to choose from. And he says, you know, all of the above right here. The man said, the woman that you gave to be with me 
She gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. Do you realize what he's saying? God, I'm sure of, of one thing. It ain't my fault. Now, what I'm not sure of, I can't decide. Is it your fault or is it her, her fault? That's what he's doing. Yeah, he's just a man. There he goes. All right. Not my fault. Verse 13. And then the Lord God went to the woman and said, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, now, is this a woman? It ain't my fault. The servant deceived me. And so I ate. I mean, it was just a deal I could not pass up. It was a buy one, get one. So that means one of them's like free, and I just went for it. It ain't my fault. That sneaky servant advertiser, I can't believe it. <clears throat> and what's going to happen now in the next bunch of verses is, is the whole cosmos is fractured. Up to this point, it was created very good. Now it's very bad. I don't know if you looked around your world lately. It ain't getting better. Progress. Ha! There's like some old school diseases popping up now and killing people that we thought we had wiped out, right? It is a chaotic world. It's all been cursed. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above the beasts of the field. <clears throat> and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, so big, it's called the Proto-Evangelium, which means the, the first gospel I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The NIV translates it, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. So from the beginning, this is why we call it scripted. Because it's not like um, God creates and he makes a move and then the devil causes the sin and he makes another move and then God's like, ah, what am I going to do? I'll send Jesus to fix it. No, from the very beginning, God knew that the lamb will be slain before the foundations of the earth. That this whole thing was scripted. And you know what this means? That, that God is saying, hey, listen, I've already got this figured out, okay? We got a sin problem now. But what he says, this is the first prophecy about Jesus Christ coming and dying on a cross in Genesis chapter 3. Before they're even kicked out of the garden yet. And he says, listen, um, Eve, from your offspring is going to rise up one, a Messiah, a Christ. And the enemy is going to strike his heel, and you're going to think that you won. He was talking about the cross. On the day Jesus was crucified, the devil thought, man, I won. I just killed God. And on the third day, Christ rises from the dead and crushes, crushes the head of the serpent. From the very beginning, verse 16, and to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. I've obviously never given birth, been in the room twice. It's awful, all right? <clears throat> in pain... You shall bring forth children, <clears throat> and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. You know what that means, ladies? That there's this tension at home. This desire from your, for your husband doesn't mean like, oh, I want him so bad. I wish. It means like your desire is to be the boss and to overthrow him. And it's a part of the curse. Verse 17 to Adam, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Let me explain that, fellas. Hey, every, every husband, look at me. Listen. You're not supposed to listen to the voice of your wife. You're supposed to listen to the heart of your wife. And you know this to be true because you know when you see something wrong in her and you say, baby, are you okay? And she says, I'm fine. She's lying. She's lying. She's lying. And if you believe that, if you begin to act like she's fine, then you're done, okay? You're done. Re-listen to Song of Solomon. You got to dig into her heart and listen to her heart. And Adam was told to subdue and cultivate, to create the kind of environment where his wife could be everything that God had created her to be, but instead he's listening to her mouth instead of cultivating her heart. And so he says, he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. So in this moment, our, the creation is broken. That's why there's famine and disease and disaster. That all happens now in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so God created everything and it was very good. And then sin enters the world and it is very bad. And that's why you at some point in your life, have, have looked at your condition and the condition of this world, and we can all agree on this, that something's not right. Something's not right. Now, at this point, at this point, if God was only just, then he just kills Adam and Eve. Because they, it's treason. It's treason against the king of the universe. But instead, here's what's happening. In verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam... And for his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. This is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of the gospel. Adam and Eve had sewn together fig leaves, all right? Um, Insufficient covering. It wouldn't work. And so God steps in, and in his mercy and in his grace and in his justice, blood was shed for sin and shame. And so God, in order to make a covering, in order to make garments that for the very first time in human history... An animal is sacrificed. He sacrifices an animal. Blood is shed because of sin. And then, because that blood was shed, he takes a garment to cover the sin and the shame of Adam and Eve. And he makes for them a covering. It's to foreshadow what Jesus Christ would do on the cross. That the blood of the spotless Lamb of God would be shed on the sin... I mean, shed on the cross for our sin. But here's the thing, is that this is a picture of the gospel. The actual gospel far, um, far exceeds the picture of the gospel. So the picture of the gospel here is that um, blood was shed for the covering of sin. But the real gospel, the true gospel, Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection doesn't just cover our sins, but it washes it away. There's not, there's not sin to be covered anymore, but it is washed away because Jesus takes all of our sin upon himself on the cross and we get all of his righteousness. <clears throat> that means that Jesus isn't just a cover up for your sin, but he's the propitiation and the expiation for your sin. That means he paid for it and expunged it from your record. Look, this is 1122. There are many of you that have many things expunged from your records. I know that to be true. In Christ, when you put your faith, when you put your trust in him, it doesn't just, um, it doesn't cover over all of your sins, but takes them away. That's what baptism is a symbol of. That when you sit in that water and, and some pastor says, who is Jesus? And you say, he is my Lord and Savior. What you're saying is he is the fulfillment of what was prophesied here in Genesis chapter 3. That his blood was shed. And when I, when I began to realize that actually counted for me, not just everybody else, but that his sin, his, I mean, his death and his res- resurrection counted for my sin. And I began to trust him and I surrender to him and I make him the boss of my life then all of my sin is washed away. And, and you, you make that public by saying, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And then when the person dunking you says, upon your public profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when you go back, now listen, you're already a Christian. That moment that you surrender your life to Christ is the moment that the Holy Spirit comes into you and you are now the temple of the Almighty God. He lives in you now and washes that all away. 
but as an outward symbol of what's already happened in here. When that person brings you back and dunks you into the water, if they're putting you to death in a watery grave, that's what that is. And as that water washes over you, it's a symbol for all of us to see on the outside what God has been doing already on you on the inside. And that sin is not just covered up. If it was just covered up, we'd have to hide you under the water forever, but that's not what we do. But it's washed away. And when you come up out of that water, it looks like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you are joining with him in a resurrected new life, washed and clean. Not from the outside, not just by changing behavior, but you are washed and clean from the blood, from the blood of the lamb that was shed for the forgiveness of your sin. That's what happens here. And then, and then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, <coughs> he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Sin separates us from God. And did you know, in those deepest desires in your soul, when you realize something is wrong, something is missing, the things of this world will not fully and finally satisfy, do you know what was going on there? Is that we all, in essence, remember this moment in creation, that we were created for perfect fellowship with God. We were created to just be united with Him and abiding in Him. And we all have this longing in our soul to be back to this very place. Ecclesiastes 3 calls it um, uh, that you have eternity set in your heart. That's why some of you are here checking out this whole Jesus thing. Because you've been longing to be back with Him. And here's the point, that God, that God sent His Son, Jesus, on a rescue mission for all of us who have run from God, whether you run in a rebellion or you, run in, you ran in religion, that God has sent Jesus Christ, his only son, on a rescue mission. And please hear, please hear this part. For you, and I am not talking about the person sitting next to you. I'm talking about you. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it counted for you. And for some of you today, you're going to realize that. For the very, you're realizing that right now. Some of you have known a lot about Jesus through your pursuit of religion, but you've never known him as your Lord and Savior. You've never been face to face with him and felt no shame and no guilt and no condemnation. And some of you today is the day that you surrender. You say, okay, I quit. I quit running and I quit trying to impress you. I quit running in rebellion and I quit quit trying to impress you with religion. But here I am, naked and ashamed. And God, here's what he does. He clothes you in his righteousness and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And for every person that's done that, if you've ever done that, if you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ and you've never gone public with it, then today we're gonna invite you to be baptized, to get dunked. That's what baptized means. And it's a, it's a Greek word that means dip, dunk, submerge. That's what it means, okay? And so today could be your day. That I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you if you're ready to receive Christ, trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're going to pray. You're going to pour out your heart to God. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in, 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 as a symbol that you've surrendered your life to Christ. And then we're going to open up these pools. And any person in here that's ready to proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you're going to come forward and you're going to get baptized. And when I say amen, you'll just, 
If you're ready to be baptized, you'll just move over to the walls over here. I would ask that if you're under 12 years old, just tell your mom and dad, and um, we're going to baptize you at another time. We just want to make sure that if you're under 12, that you talk to our, our, our children's ministry staff. Also, if you think, oh, I'd really love to, but, but I don't have the right clothes. Maybe you had the right clothes for church today, but you didn't have the right clothes for us to watch you get baptized in. And so we've got clothes that we, we'll put you in, okay? We've got, uh, how about this? Whatever excuse you can come up with, it ain't for the Lord. It just ain't from the Lord, okay? It'll just be a twist. <clears throat> and now, um, congregation, we have, a, we have a job in this too. The Bible says <clears throat> that, that heaven parties over every single lost person that comes home. That's what it is. That the angels in heaven party or celebrate or rejoice whenever one lost person comes home. And so the reason that we do baptism publicly is so that we could celebrate as a family each and every time, however many times it is, if it's 30 or 40 or 50 or 100, that every single time we lose our mind as if your very own son or daughter that had been a long way off finally came to their senses and decided to come home. That every time somebody comes up out of the water that we just cheer like crazy and clap like crazy and, just, and we get excited about the most important thing in the world. People coming to God. So are you ready? I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. Would you bow your heads? Would you bow your heads? At the church of 1122, we, we clearly understand that it's only God that saves. And so if you were here this morning and for the very first time, for the very first time, you realize that you have been running from God either in rebellion or religion, whatever it is. Maybe you were trying to play hide-and-seek with the Almighty God and you never thought He'd found you, and today you're going, oh, He found me. Or maybe you've been sewing fig leaves together because you've been trying to impress Him, and quite honestly, you're just ready to stop. You're ready to do something else about your sin and nakedness and shame. And you're ready to just come to the Father and say, okay, here I am, take me, just as I am. Because here's the truth, God loves you, not some future version of you once you get your act together. But he loves you right now. <clears throat> he will receive you right now. If by the blood of the Lamb, you are ready to have your sins forgiven, washed away, and you're ready to claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior instead of you being your own Lord and Savior. In this moment, if you're ready to surrender your life to Christ, would you raise your hand right where you are, just as a symbol of surrender? Would you say, God, here I am. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of trying to impress you. And listen, if you've got your hand up, you just be honest to God. There's no magic prayer. It's not an incantation. That you just be honest to God. You confess Him as Lord of your life. You put your trust in Him. You understand at a heart level, right this minute, that when He died on the cross, it counted for you. And that in this moment, your sins are being washed away. Dear Father in heaven, God, I thank you and I praise you that there is salvation in this place. God, I thank you that you never stop pursuing us, even in spite of us. That from the beginning of time to this moment, you have been walking through the gardens of our life, God, calling out our name. God, for those of us that are already in relationship with you, God, just remind us of that once again. Just remind us to quit running, to quit hiding, to quit sowing fig leaves, and to just be in relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in the hearts of men and women in this place, that they would take that first step of obedience as a Christian. They would walk into the waters of baptism symbolizing that you have washed them clean at the soul level 
but they are ready to announce it, to shout it from the top of roofs around this world to say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And that they would be baptized, put to death in that watery grave, resurrected to walk in a newness of life. God, we thank you and we praise you that you love us because you are love. We pray this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.